Hello, and welcome to the third episode of Transcastic, your source for transgender news and discussion. I'm Miranda, together with Bridget and Kai, and we have some, some exciting stories to share with you all. So let's get to it. Today is January 26, 2024. Let's hear our first story, Kai. All right. Hey, all. I'm Kai. For those of you that don't know me, uh, my pronouns are he, him. And today we are starting with, uh, we're starting with two, um, two different articles, but I'm going to read them together since they're related. So the first one is the Ohio legislature overrides the governor's veto to ban gender affirming care. So officially, Ohio has banned gender affirming care for minors and restricted transgender women's and girls participation on sports teams. Last week, GOP Governor Mike DeWine vetoed this bill, but the Republican-dominated Senate voted Wednesday to override it, voting 24 to 8 in favor of the ban. The new law bans gender-affirming surgeries and hormone therapies and restricts mental health care for transgender individuals under 18. The measure also bans transgender girls and women from girls and women's sports teams at both the K-12 and collegiate level. Officials expect the law to take effect in roughly 90 days. This will inevitably send a lot of trans minors to seek care outside of the state and drive them to want to relocate to another state altogether. So an important point to note um, about uh, DeWine is he reiterated on Wednesday that he he vetoed the legislation to protect parents and children from government overreach on medical decisions. But the first week of January, he signed an executive order banning gender-affirming surgeries for people under 18, despite medical professionals maintaining that such surgeries are, hap are happening in the state. At least 20 states have approved a ban on trans athletes playing on K-12 and collegiate sports teams statewide, but the Biden administration submitted a proposal to forbid outright bans, which is set to be finalized this year after multiple delays and much pushback. And so in response to what's happening in Ohio, there was a rally in support of the of the trans youth that are going to be affected by this ban. Um, community activists in Akron, Ohio, held a rally in support and they they interviewed a couple of people. One is a trans man named uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name properly. So I, if I mess up, I'm so sorry. Um, Aris or Aries, I'm gonna say Aries Page, who is a community activist for trans individuals um, and he said, uh, when he was interviewed, he said, quote, I worry that those kids aren't going to get the help that they need. And a lot of them are going to end up killing themselves, to be honest. It scares me. Creating legislation to stop us from existing is not going to stop us from existing because we already did. Y'all just didn't understand it. End quote. Daniel Schultz a facilitator for TransJoy Akron said, quote, beginning tomorrow, we will share information with the advocacy groups that are specializing in advocacy, including TransOhio, which has advo advocacy advice and financial help for people who really need to get out of the state, end quote. For now, Schultz said TransJoy Akron will have a monthly meetup starting this Friday to create a safe space for those who need it. She also said support such as mental health resources, housing, and medical health are available at the Bayard Rustin LGBTQ Plus Resource Center in Akron. All right. So what are y'all thinking? Well, it's um it's not good news. <laughs> no. Um yeah, I looked up a few a few of the statistics about the state of play in across the nation. And um just to get these numbers out there, at the moment, 22 states, which now includes Ohio, have laws um, banning practice medical care for transgender children. And uh, those 22 states are the homes to approximately 36% of transgender children in the U.S., which means that more than a third of the transgender children in the United States, by law, cannot get the transgender health care that the medical community says is most appropriate for them. It's just a, a travesty. Wow, when you put when you put it in numbers like that, I feel like that really paints that, that kind of shook me um, just right now. And even this article, when I read it, I I felt like a little bit of my heart crushed because um, I mean uh, these states and Ohio is they're obviously sending a very clear message to its trans population that they are not wanted and they are not cared for, and I sort of, after a lot of contemplation about this, like in the past, I had sort of been like, it kind of feels like 
these states or at least these people who are enacting these bills, those people who are who are transphobic are kind of like unconsciously, whether they're aware of it or not, are sort of being like, well, we can't stop them from being trans, but we can drive them out of the states by not giving them the care that they need. Um, and I feel like it's creating I feel like it's almost it almost feels purposeful um, in the sense that like we only want like kind of people that we're comfortable with to be around us. Um, and it, I feel like it's going to create a, if, if this continues and it stays and we don't have, um, pushback against these bans and these laws that it's going to just divide us even further away from each other, which I think is the exact opposite of what you need in order to create, um, uh, you know, to bridge people together. We need to be around diversity. We need to have diversity in these spaces. Otherwise, people aren't going to understand trans people, and and uh, so people won't won't be less will be less transphobic. But this is where we are. Yeah, Sarah? you know, a few weeks ago, Dewan tried to take the surgery out in order to keep hormones, um, and I just I don't. This just seems like an interesting way to try to handle it to me, and I think. Yes, like everyone needs access to both the hormones and the surgeries. But at, at the end of the day, I think having one is is better than having none. So uh, I thought it was interesting that he tried to do that. That being said, I think, you know, in states like Ohio, you're saying this is a family decision. Well, I think the families will not side too much. Um, with the, you know, with the, the rights of the trans person, it's, it was an interesting tactic that I've commented on before that I thought it might be for the best, but I don't know. It's up to say, I, I'd be really curious how many states, if any, have the hormones like allowed, but the surgeries banned. Or anything because I, I I know the answer. Okay. <laughs> oh, hey, please tell us. <laughs> there's, there's one. What? It's Arizona. Yeah, okay. in Arizona, mm. the um the the hormone treatment is is permitted, but surgeries are um, prohibited. Below eighteen, or I, I don't know the age. It, okay. it is for you know for children, but uh, I don't know the cutoff age. Okay. But that's another that's another issue because. Um, you know, we've already seen how um, it's a slippery slope. You pass these laws uh, prohibiting treatment for children, and then you raise the age of what's considered a children yeah. until you're really talking about children and young adults, and then children, not all adults. So, yeah, it's not a... Yeah, and I agree that everything is a slippery slope. I yeah, I I think, um, we, and we've been talking about this, but I, I feel like we... We haven't really um, analyzed it through the political lens as much as as much as we could have. Um, and um, you know, Kai, you mentioned earlier that kind of the practical effect of these laws is to, you know, send a message to, to the transgender population that they're not wanted or cared for. I, I think was was how you phrased it. And um, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that's actually the point. You know, as in the point is not to protect the children. The point is not to, you know, um, deny transgender people their medical care. The point is to communicate that we don't like you, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I think we see more and more that the politics of the right is a politics of exclusion. You know, their principles are defined by what they are in opposition to. They're in opposition to LGBTQ rights. They're in opposition to abortion. Um, they're in opposition to immigration. And I don't think that's a mistake. I think that, you know, getting into the, you know, the actual politics of it, what works and why does it work? And how do you make a voting block and keep that block together and keep them energized? Um, you know, the right is using tools that um, make that happen through outrage and um, anger and, um you know, um, I don't know, bigotry. And um, and so we can point out 
that these laws have this effect. But let's be very clear that that's not that's not a warning sign to these legislators. They're not going to say, "Oh, I, you're right. Sorry, that was our mistake." They're going to say, "Well, yeah, of course, that's what we're trying to do. That's that's victory for us." You know, like um, like uh, you know, we need to um, not only point out this um, this damage that they're doing, but also find a way to dismantle the machine that makes the damage um, beneficial for them. Um, so, I mean, this is um, not time or place to like talk about how we might do that, but uh, um, nor do I think I can. I'm not enough of a political scientist to, scientist to do that, but I think that we'll start to see, you know, glimpses of that as we go through this year and see more and more stories like this, because I'm afraid to say, I, I kind of predict that this is just a harbinger of many more similar, similar laws that are in the pipeline right now. Yeah, and like, I they, I think people who are enacting these laws and transphobic people in general are not connected to the unconscious thought processes, processes that influencing their decisions to do this. And I think a lot of what's underneath there is I, I do think people are disgusted and grossed out by trans people, right? I think people think it's gross. I think people think it's wrong. Um, and I don't, I don't think they, <laughs> I mean, some people admit that and they just say it outright, but I think there are other people who um, may not be totally uh, conscious that they feel that way, but are then acting and guising that as, or it's being guised by the idea that like, oh, we need to protect the children from hurting themselves, right? But really what's underneath that is like, I feel disgusted about this and I don't want these kids to to do this to themselves um and change right. yeah in gender gender I, bend or whatever i would argue that the problem is not that that people disapprove of you know lgbtq rights the problem is that they think that their disapproval is sufficient grounds for making legislation that denies those rights mm. i mean that is a that is a that is a at its most basic level an anti-democratic belief and yet somehow a lot of our population in supposedly democratic America accepts that without question. And um, I, I think I think that's that's the problem. And that's the problem here and this issue and for many, many others that affect transgender people. Yeah, I think there's Very a well said. there's a big problem with people just forgetting that, you know, at the end of the day. Trans people are humans as well, and um, the discrimination hurts them, you know, like they, yeah. especially in the sports and stuff, you know, that's such a big uh, issue because you're hurting kids that are just trying to play sports where they feel comfortable and they are getting blocked and harassed and called all this negative stuff and yeah. and it's just mm -hmm. at the end of the day it's just a kid trying to play a sport so exactly um i do want right. to comment can i comment one more thing on this just just the rally part because i want to touch on the rally we mm -hmm. didn't get a chance to talk about it um i just want to say that um i think it's good that people are you know rallying in response to this um because we should fight back and I guess I just wanted to say <laughs> I I can get overwhelmed at rallies very easily and get very overstimulated, so I don't often go to them. I go sometimes. Um, but the way that I sort of, I think, advocate for these issues is not only by talking about them with people, but like donating money if you have the money to, um, sharing these, sharing the resources that, um, what's her name shared, uh, Danielle Schultz shared, um, so that people that do live in Ohio, or you may know people who know people in Ohio and beyond can, can access the, this, these resources. Cause you just never know who might need help. Um, and I think we underestimate the power of discussion and discourse with one another. So I think even just talking about it and informing people about it is also a way to 
to fight back against this. And also like just talking with if like for me too, like I can get hopeless and I know people who can get hopeless from this stuff. And I think if you can, if we can turn that anger and hopelessness and sort of transform it into like activism and advocacy that can become empowering. And I guess I just want to like have that for me be a message that we can gather from this is try not to let this make us feel terrible. Although we should, you know, grieve this for the people and be, be sad for the people in Ohio. But I think also we can use that to um, fuel activism. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I am not in Ohio, but there are many things, you know, to, to protest here in uh, California where I live. And, um, and uh, I like you, Kai, I'm also a little overwhelmed by rallies. I seldom go to them. Um, and and uh, I feel guilty about that because um, I feel like they, they're, they are important. They demonstrate support and politicians care about support because even even these most cynical of politicians, you know, they do often seem to draw the line, you know, at a place where it hurts them, their chances of reelection. So, so, um, so, I mean, I have nothing but praise for the good people in Akron who are out there on the streets protesting this new law. All right. So... All right. You guys want to uh, hear the rest of the news? Mm-hmm. Yep. Sounds good. All right. So, I have a story uh, that comes to us um, regarding the uh, uh, transgender health care for veterans. So on Thursday, January 25th, the Transgender American Veterans Association, or the TAVA, filed a lawsuit suing the U.S. government for failing to offer gender confirmation surgery to veterans. So the Department of Veterans Affairs currently does offer many transition-related health care services for veterans. This includes hormone therapy, voice training, fertility preservation, and hair removal. It does not, however, cover surgeries. So just to make it clear, active duty service members are covered by a different agency, and for them, transgender surgeries are covered. So this is a story really just about veterans. Um, in May of 2016, we filed a petition with the Department of Veterans Affairs asking it to amend health benefits to cover gender confirmation surgeries. It's been almost eight years since that petition was filed, yet the VA has issued no official response to Tava's petition. The lawsuit filed on Thursday asks the U.S. Court of Appeals to compel the VA to respond to its 2016 petition. Uh, it isn't clear why the VA has so far failed to do so after almost eight years of not doing so. Uh, two and a half years ago, the Secretary of Veterans Affairs, Dennis McDonough, publicly announced that the VA would provide gender confirmation surgery. Yet, despite his you know, announcement to that effect, nothing has happened. According to Tava's president, Rebecca Eschler, the White House blames the VA for the delay, and the VA blames the White House. Quoting Eschler, it has become a political football that keeps being passed around. It's just that they don't want to extend the coverage and trans veterans are paying for it with their lives. A spokesperson for Tava said that gender confirmation surgery dramatically reduces the risks of suicidal ideation, depression, and psychological distress for transgender people who live with gender dysphoria. Uh, and Tava's Rebecca Eschler estimates that there is somewhere between 10,000 and 15,000 transgender veterans in the United States who use the VA, and about a third of them desire access to transgender surgeries. Um, so it's not clear what will happen um, now that Tava has filed its lawsuit. Tava says it will wait to see how the VA responds and will act accordingly, which might mean uh, taking the arguments into court. Um, so, um, we learned about this story from an article written by uh, Tim Tiemann at the Daily Beast. All right, so I don't know if I can if I can give my two cents on this. Um, I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to know too much about what's going on behind the scenes at the Department of Veterans Affairs because you know I don't have any particular insight into that agency. But this looks an awful lot like another case of oppression by obstruction. You know, people who oppose transgender rights 
they feel like they can't win in the court of public opinion. They can't win at the polls. But they found that they can achieve their political objectives by dragging their feet and refusing to do their jobs. And in this case, refusing to update, you know, the health service staffer to veterans, you know, despite a clear political will to do so. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. That sounds good to me. I mean, not, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> I I think this also speaks to the way that transphobic people or just maybe people in general who don't really understand trans people, um, I don't think they understand the gravity of gender affirming surgeries. I think people tend to think of them as luxuries or something that is kind of like, quote unquote, optional instead of something that is like medically necessary. Like, I think it's just as medically necessary as like any other surgery for like a physical ailment, um, like in the sense that it is it is that serious um, and, and people don't take that uh, don't take it seriously. And I think and I think that is a way to undermine and invalidate our identities, either whether they're doing it on purpose or not. And by not allowing surgeries like this in the case of the VA um, or for banning them for minors in the case of Ohio and other states, it sends the message that our distress is not valid and therefore our identities are not valid. And I think that people also think that this psychological distress can be, I think a lot of people, you know, attribute it to other things too. Like they'll say, oh, you have past trauma or you, you know, you just have depression or they, they try to explain it away when it's like, no, like the way I feel this way because my gender is not aligned with, you know, my gender on the outside doesn't feel the way my gender is on the inside. Um, and they just don't, they just don't understand that. And I don't think they're willing to understand that. And so I think that is kind of um, also what is happening um, underneath all this. Yeah, I think there's, well kind of, yeah, it is well put. I, I think there's kind of two demographics of transphobes. There's the ones that think that it is a luxury, like you said, Kai, and that they, especially in situations like this, you know, with the VA and then like um, government sanctioned healthcare, they think it's like tax dollars going to luxury optional things that no one really needs. And then there's the another side that's, I don't know, maybe even a little bit worse that just think it's straight up like mutilation, you know, that's a big, yeah. a big thing, you know, you're taking what works and making it not work, but that is not a great attitude because it already doesn't work. If you're doesn't match <laughs> your, your uh, gender inside, you know, so. Um, also yeah. well put. <laughs> yeah. Hey, can I highlight, I'd like to highlight something. Um, you know, Rebecca Eschler of, of Tava said, um, mm. you know, quoted it with regard to this article, which is that this issue is being passed around like a political football um, you know, the military, sadly, is kind of um, rife for exploitation by those who want to make a political point. Um, just to just to remind everyone, um, in 2017, Donald Trump banned transgender people from serving in the military. He could do that unilaterally as president and commander in chief. Uh, that ban was upheld by the courts, and it stood until President Joe Biden reversed the ban in 2021. Um, the the military is sadly subject to you know these types of military or political shenanigans, and um, and that applies to active service members as well as veterans. Um, and and I. I bring this up a way of saying that the problem is deeper than just the policies that exist at the moment. I would I would argue that in addition to, you know, um, having, you know, um, inefficient policies or unjust policies with regard to transgender people, uh, yet another problem is that the military um, and the care for our veterans and service members is so susceptible to politics in America. And and so, you know, we cure for this, you know, we, I, I won't be satisfied that we've that we've got a good system until, yes, first of all, transgender people get the care they need. 
but also that care is secured by something more stable than just the whim of the latest party in the White House. So true. Yeah. Yeah. I always wonder in this case if it's I'm sure that there's some on the side of, you know, they they just want to block this because they don't agree with transgender people and stuff. But I'm sure there's another side and it's all about the money, kind of like with insurance yeah. where they're intentionally not doing it just because it's a, co it's a costly thing that would eat into budgets and stuff like that. And by not taking action, they're not, you know, they're saving that money through all the time. They're not taking action that would be going to surgeries and stuff. So. A good point. Yeah, if I, I don't know if, um, I don't have numbers on this, but um, I think the um, the dollar amount we're looking at um, is is very small compared to the mm. the VA budget. I I I think that the that was mentioned in the sources uh, I read about this story, but only uh, in the context of someone, you know, affirming that it's not really a significant uh, issue. Nobody. Nobody is arguing against including these surgeries on the basis of cost. Mm, okay. Okay. I was just reverting back to the, as I think in a lot of ways, the insurance companies, you know, even in California here, you have to jump through millions of hoops to get the surgeries covered. And I think that's largely a cost thing, not that they don't like, they, I don't think they care that much whether you're trans or not. They just want, don't want to pay for the surgeries if they can yeah. avoid it any way possible so i i think that I, now that it's coming back to me what i read is that um the additional cost for transgender surgeries would be less than the va currently spends on viagra mm. oh yeah <laughs> yeah i've heard that before yeah okay fantastic well, yeah priorities your well, we know where yeah. their prior, yeah, priority, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just priority. I also wanted to, <laughs> yeah. I also wanted to mention the um, the phrase. What is it? Weaponized incompetence. Um, mm, yes. You know, people yeah. people often I think use that to describe. You know, like a boyfriend who's like not like like doesn't do the dishes right so that his girlfriend has to do them because she's like you don't do it right and i feel like that's kind of what this is a little bit right the government's like uh you know like eight years what were you doing for eight years that's and i don't know maybe that's not the right phrase but that's just kind of the feeling i get from it well but that is a very real thing and it's a it's a technique I think we see disproportionately wielded by the Republican Party, mm -hmm. who wants doesn't want to doesn't want to what what was the phrase doesn't want to you know kill the government just to make it so weak it can be strangled in a bathtub or I you remember that the phrase by Ronald Reagan I forget what it was yeah um, yeah I I, oh, I think we've seen that time and time again you know that that. Um, um, the Republican Party tries to achieve its goals by starving um, government agencies of the funding they need to do their job right. And then they can, first of all, the services like the tax collection aren't getting done and, and the Republicans consider that a win. But then also the public perceives of these, you know, formerly competent agencies as now being incompetent and they, they're willing to defund them even more because why should we put more money into an incompetent agency? Yeah, mm. I think we, we've seen that time and time again. The IRS is quick to come to mind, the post mm. office, um, and now the Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, as far as I know, I don't I don't want to talk out of turn because I don't really know what their funding situation is. But um, but yeah, weaponizing confidence is a great phrase for it. If that's not the common phrase, I'd say we adopt it. All right. Let's, yeah. <laughs> Do we move on to our, our next story? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do it. Our next story comes from NBC. A New York City's women's jail is being sued by a former prisoner is who alleging that staff ignored her warning that a trans woman housed in the jail was only pretending in order to prey on other prisoners. Records obtained by the women's attorney show that shortly after the alleged perpetrator arrived in the dorm, the perpetrator sexually propositioned the victim, and then groped her in the bathroom two days later. 
After reviewing the complaint, the acting warden, Floyd Pips, sent an email. I feel that individual is not suitable fit for RMSC. That's the name of the prison or the jail. The victim does not want to remain in the unit due to feeling unsafe. The lawsuit alleges that even after the warnings, the perpetrator remained in female housing and just a day later, they were able to rape the victim. According to the suit, the victim believes that not only was the perpetrator lying about their gender identity, but was instructed to claim that he was transgender by DOC staff so that he could stay in the female dorm where he could have access to female inmates. The perpetrator had five open complaints of alleged sexual misconduct already prior to the alleged rape. Nicholas Liakis, the victim's attorney, said, Whether or not this person was truly or not transgender ignores the fact that you had a history of complaints of predator behavior. This individual had documented complaints of harassment. It culminated with rape after being ignored. In a hearing held last January, Dr. Rachel Golden, a psychologist who specialized in gender-affirming care, told lawmakers it would be a mistake to think that it is common for men to pose as trans behind bars. And Golden said, There's little to no incentive to pretend to be transgender, let alone to put in work to sustain that ruse over time. There is absolutely no evidence that people pretending to be transgender is a common occurrence, whereas there is ample evidence supporting the risk of violence and assault to transgender women being housed in a male facility. And that's the that's the article here. That yeah, that's that's a that's there's a lot to say about this story. I my first thoughts I have a lot to say about the state of our criminal justice system in general. I find it a little hard to focus on on this particular in, in, incident and its implications for the transgender community. But if you will humor me, I will kind of say some things about the criminal justice system. Um, I think we have a major criminal justice crisis in America. Um, Many of our laws are unjust and are applied unevenly. Prisoners are deprived of basic rights and dignity. Uh, we've completely failed to make justice an effective instrument of rehabilitation and to a lesser extent, even an instrument of deterrence. Corruption flourishes in the administration of correctional facilities and the list goes on and on. And Rikers Island, um, where this incident took place, is symptomatic of at least some of these problems. It has a, a well-earned reputation for violence, physical and mental abuse, neglect of its inmates. Um, 10 years ago, Mother Jones Magazine ranked Rikers Islands as one of the 10 worst correctional facilities in the US. Um, and um, you know, to give them credit, the, the New York City Council is trying to shut it down. Um, and so trying to bring this, you know, back down to the specifics of this of this incident with this inmate um, allegedly, you know, trying to pass themselves off as a transgender woman. I don't know, my, my first take is that when you have a system that's so broken as this one is in the first place, it's really hard to, you know, apply, you know, the, the rules of normal society to it, right? We we know that it's very rare for a man to pose as a transgender woman in order to prey on on other women. We just we know that the, the you know the studies show that and the science shows that. But you know, in a place where the the society is as broken as it is in our criminal justice system, and particularly Rikers Island, maybe maybe things are different. You know, maybe maybe there are incentives there for misbehavior that don't exist in in broader society or in well-run correctional facilities. So, um, I don't know. That's about all I have to say about that. It's, a, it's. I, I think this is an important issue, especially since since a woman seems to have been raped, and that's that should never be excused under any circumstances. Um, but it's it's just hard for me to focus on this individual incident when it just so obviously symptomatic of a huge major problem that we were repeating the ignoring year after year after year, which is the sorry state of our, of our criminal justice system in this country. Yeah. yeah. That's all I should say. I'll get off my soapbox now. 
Uh, no, please stay up. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and I totally agree with you 100. percent Um, I think it's also I think I think it's also difficult because like especially with this article, like I bet there's a lot of people who don't read the whole thing, um, and just they just read the headline, take it at face value, and they're like, "See, look, it's a problem. It's happening. It's real." Um, and I I think. In this case, if you read the article, they I think they added quite a bit of, um, uh, you know, opposition to that thought with uh, Liakis's attorney and saying and, and then um, Golden's the psychologist saying, like, this is not something that happens. We have research. There's, this is this is a myth that this happens often. And so I do think that it's like really I think it should be I think journalists and the news outlets need to be more responsible about how to cover stories like this and even just think about like why are we covering stories like this you know what i mean like like what 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 purpose is this serving or why title it that way do you know what i mean like like yeah. you're titling in a way that's going to provoke specific um opinions that are transphobic um and so that's that's frustrating. Um, and so I, I, I'm happy that we're talking about this because I think we need to be discerning of, of media like this and be careful about it. Um, and then I had a thought while you were talking, Bridget, and while I was li like reading, you know, listening to you read it, um, this is totally out of left field and I was not prepared to say this, to say this. So please be like, Kai, that's dumb. Um, but <laughs> I had a thought, I was like, I wonder if even, you know, people who have this argument that, that that this is a thing that that men pretend to be trans and go, uh, you know, rape women in bathrooms. Like I, and I wonder if even that thought, having been put into the ether and, and become so loud, is actually emboldening men who like want to, who have a history of predatory behavior, who wouldn't have thought to do that prior. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that's a thing. Maybe that's not uh, a thing, but it's just something that went to my mind. So please, please be like, yeah, that's a flawed train of thought. But um, it was just something I thought of just now. No, it, it, it might be absolutely true. I, I haven't heard anything on that one way or another. But on the other hand, you know, these stories are extremely rare. It's not very often that you hear of a trans, of a man pretending to be a transgender woman. Um, right. but, but regarding this this trope, this idea that that men do pretend mm -hmm. to be transgender in order to you know assault women, um, that to me this is this this is a very uh, turfy thing. This is something that trans exclusionary yes. radical feminists hammer on again and again and again. And in such, I've I've heard um, you know uh, alarmist warnings about the, this this trope. Coming a lot more out of the UK than out of the US, but um, but it does happen here too, and I think we'll just see more of it um, in the future. I mean, not more actual incidents, but more, you know, concern that mm -hmm. it's happening, and the use of this trope as justification for discrimination against um, transgender people. Yeah. yeah. In this case, I think um, this story is more about the failure of the jail and prison system. If someone's able to get all these allegations and new allegations are not heard in time to stop something from happening. But make no mistake that the titles and the, you know, the, the sources covering it, you know, the news organizations covering it are intentionally sensationalizing these titles to get clicks and you know that as well as I do that some of these organizations want people to have th the narrative that trans women are doing this these things in jails and prisons and in other places you know um, because that kind of pushes the goal that you were talking about earlier where like they want trans people to cease to exist you know so yeah, that's that's a really good insight, Miranda. That the mm -hmm. um the danger of reporting on things like this is it's it's not so much that 
you know, journalism can give a, a, an improper impression of what's happening, the danger is that this reinforces a, a false belief. Um, and, um, and, and I think journalists in this day and age, they have to be aware of when what they're reporting reinforces a, a false belief. A true article can reinforce a false belief um, and so, you know, I think there's some new journalistic um, responsibility in the world today that, and I, I don't, I don't know if the solution is to not report on stories like these. I expect it's rather to report on these stories like these in a different way. Mm. But uh, one way or another, you have to find a way to disarm that that aspect of these these stories, that, you know, prevent them from being weaponized by by people who want to spread a, a false narrative about. Um, in this case, transgender people. Yeah, these are yeah. are always some of the stories that I feel hurt me the most because it's like not only are they saying this 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 gets sensationalized about us, but it's it's like the people in these stories, by and large, you know, innocent, no proven, guilty, are criminals that are that are in jail, and this kind of stuff gets wrapped around the entire community more than it should is you know what i mean I, the, i'm just like there's a difference between people that are the for most a lot of people in prison like they're they're generally not as great of a person as um someone that's not you know so uh, like in this particular case, this, the perpetrator here went on to get sentenced for their original crime and go to a full prison. So, um, it just, I feel like we get Bye. lumped in, you know, so. Mm -hmm. After that sad story, are you ready for an even sadder story? Well, all right. Buckle up everyone. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, sadly, we need to talk about the murder of, a, of another transgender woman. Well, this is a murder that, that happened a, a few years ago. In July of 2021, a 20-year-old transgender woman named Taya Ashton was found shot to death in her apartment in Suitland, Maryland. Suitland is a suburb of Washington, D.C. Um, so the news is that earlier this month, a 29-year-old man named D. Allen Price was sentenced to 48 years in prison for Tyat Ashton's murder. Uh, this sentence follows a guilty plea in October of um, 2023, last year. Price pled guilty to second-degree murder and to the use of a firearm in the commission of a crime. Um, so Ashton and Price were in an intimate relationship. According to the prosecutors in the case, Price testified during sentencing that the murder occurred when he learned that Ashton was transgender. He found out that she was transgender, and then he shot her. Uh, State's attorney Aisha Braveboy said in a press conference, quote, people can live how they want to live, and that does not give an individual the right to commit violence against them or to take their life, period. End of story. And when they choose violence, we will hold them accountable and today and now, Mr. Price has been held accountable." End quotes. Boy also said that she and her team of prosecutors, prosecutors have been and continue to be committed to aggressively prosecuting crimes targeting members of the LGBTQ community. Her office has created an LGBTQIA plus task force to support the community. According to State's Attorney Sherry Waldrop, Kaya Ashton loved her family and was loved by them. Quoting Waldrop, Kaya was somebody who, although being part of what some may call a marginalized community, was not marginalized in how she interacted with Prince George's County. So that's the story. Um, it comes mostly from uh, the Washington Blade. Um, so I'll start the ball rolling by by pointing out uh, what might have jumped out of this story, which is that the um, the defendant, uh, you know, he talked about how he was shocked to learn that his 
girlfriend was transgender and that's why he shot her. So I think we're probably all thinking that this is um this is this is the trans panic defense. And um just to kind of shed some light on that angle, I want to point out that um in the state of Maryland, the trans the trans panic defense is prohibited by law. Um so the 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 prosecutor in the case said that Price and his attorney did not attempt to use that defense. Um, but nevertheless, I'm I'm kind of wondering why why it was brought up during sentencing. It, it wasn't meant to elicit at least some sympathy or some excuse. Um, I don't know. We'll open that up for discussion. Yeah, one of the things I've always found about this kind of stuff with the panic defense and it's just like how i feel like it's just it's such a, a scapegoat like there's it's just so i feel like it's it's hard for you to not know in some way and i feel like i would think most trans people would divulge the info earlier rather than later on i guess it depends on the person right but i've always had the mentality that i'm gonna i would divulge the info that i'm trans even if it was you know someone somehow didn't know i would let them know because i want a person that likes me for me not like what they think but, i am or you know oh there you go we can hear you now oh. go ahead oh, oh. Um, you froze. Okay. Uh, so I was saying, um, at least how I felt about this, if I was like going in an intimate relationship, I would always be very upfront about letting someone know that I'm trans. And so just cause I want them to like me, you know, and respect me for me, not, yeah, I'd rather get this out of the way if it's not going to work, you know, if, it's, if they have a problem with it or something, I'd rather know ahead of time before I get super involved. I don't know if that is yeah. an uncommon opinion, but I think it would be more common than that, so. Well, we can discuss kind of what what people's responsibilities are in negotiating a relationship. But the point is, people make mistakes all the time in their, in their relationships. Yeah. For most people, it doesn't result in their deaths. Yeah. There's no reason why a person, you know, managing, you know, the communication correctly or incorrectly should in either oh, wow. case result in the threat of violence. And and so that I think that's why in general the the, the trans panic and more broadly, you know, um gay panic and the and the panic types of defenses are are I was going to say widely discredited. I, I really don't know. They might still be used in some places in the United States. I looked it up in 17 states plus Washington, D.C., all prohibit the use of legal defenses claiming that the victim's sexual orientation or gender identity contributed to the defendant's actions, which is, I mean, that's better than none, but 17 out of 50 states or 51, I guess, since we're counting Washington, D.C., that's um, not enough. Yeah. I, maybe I'm maybe maybe both of you can help me out here because am I am I dumb? But what how how is this? A, how how is trans panic defense? How is that a defense? Like, how can you say how can you use that as a defense in the court of law that like be the that's that them that someone's sexual orientation or gender identity somehow justifies the reaction of somebody else like what i am so glad to hear you say that kai because because um it it tells me that the world is changing if that's if that's a if that's a surprising concept to you because i'm a bit older than you and um to me, the to me the answer is so painfully obvious because of the way the world was when I was growing up, in in which mm. 
transgender people were seen as as deviants. You know, we we were doing something wrong, and so we were responsible for the consequences of you know violence against us or prejudice against us because we were bringing trouble upon ourselves. It was through our choices that we were put in the situations that that caused us harm, and and so that 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 attitude in society, which was so prevalent for so many years, is what uh, explains, you know, these, the, the trans panic defense, you know, um, um, it, it, in, in, in essence, the trans panic if it, it's defense is simply trying to shift the blame for, you know, for the action from the perpetrator to the victim. It's victim blaming. Yeah. Right. And make no I'm, mistake I'm, that I'm becoming. Go ahead. Uh, make no mistake. I was not. I think that the trans panic defense is disgusting. It's a convenient excuse. I was just comparing my opinion long before something would result in some kind of physical or violent confrontation. I would just say that I'd really like to like make sure that the person that I'm going to get intimately involved with likes me for me. Oh yeah, no. I'd like to honestly sometimes uh, if you're going to be like transphobic and hateful I prefer you to just get it out of the way so I know to just avoid you. Is basically what I was trying to say. <laughs> so. No, 100%. I I wasn't um I wasn't responding to to kind of what you were saying. Honestly, what I was doing when I was listening to both of you talk was looking up what the trans panic defense is because I've never heard that before. So I was like reading it on Wikipedia and I was like, "What the hell?" Like and listening to you talk, Bridget, I I was getting really emotional because I was just like that is uh yeah, this is just really sad. Um I mean, I, I'm aware that that's probably how people viewed us in the past and still do with some people, for some people. But um, to, to, to think that this is at all logical and permissible is, is just completely, uh, it, it's, like, it's like crushing me right now a little bit. That's really sad. Um, Sorry to be dispelling your illusions. <laughs> oh, no. It, it, <laughs> no, no, I, I think I'm just feeling the gravity of it. Like, I think, you know, consciously in my, like, mental, you know, thinking logical brain, I knew that probably people felt this way. But I think I'm really feeling it in my body, speaking about it with, with both, speaking, speaking about it with you both. Um, yeah. And that's, uh, I'm feeling the gravity of it. Well, for you, yeah, well. I was going to say, forgive me if I'm wrong here, maybe you would know, Bridget, but I believe it started as the gay panic defense, and then trans people kind yeah. of got lumped into it. And I think some states yeah. have, you know, cut it all together. Some states have cut the gay part out, but left the transgender part. And I think it depends on the state, right? This, I think there's some, right, that, are, that cut the only the gay part, but left the transgender part in i'm not 100 on that but... uh, i i that's a good that's a good point um it's hard to keep track of the different variations of the laws in different states and so sometimes the research that i do results in kind of approximate estimates but but what i found was that 17 states and washington dc prohibit prohibit both hmm. um you know uh, uh defenses blaming the victim because of either their sexual orientation or their gender identity. So, so I don't know, we can, we can maybe get into more detail and a deep dive at some later time, but yeah. The, but, There's 18. But yeah, oh, there 18. Okay. I just counted. Yep. 18. Okay. And to clarify what you were saying, Miranda, yeah, it was, or maybe it was you, Bridget, I can't remember. Gay, the gay panic defense, which refers to a situation in which a heterosexual individual charged with a violent crime against a homosexual or bisexual individual claims they lost control and reacted violently because of an unwanted sexual advance that was made upon them. Um, right. Uh, yeah. So so we've kind of, I mean, we've been talking about the trans panic defense, which was kind of a, a shadow overhanging this, even though, you know, the prosecutor claimed it wasn't in play 
one thing that definitely was in play, though, was that this was a case of a transgender woman being killed by an intimate partner. Mm-hmm. And that deserves some comment because that is uh, very common. Um, so I looked it up and, um, and, and uh, an analysis by the Washington Post found that about half of transgender women who die by violence between 2015 and 2020 were killed by an intimate partner. Half. So, so um, this this just shows that um, you know we we all know that that the murder of transgender women is is a, is a big problem. It's it's a, it happens a lot, and this just puts it more into perspective, knowing that you know approximately half of those occur, uh, not from random strangers on the street, but intimate partners. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah, I and I want to talk about this a little bit because I um I think this might have been a trans woman celebrity in that documentary disclosure. It could also be from could have also been Trace Lissette. It could have been I can't remember who it was, but essentially um she was saying that uh the men that she dated and who and loved and, and were in relationships with were not necessarily like ashamed of themselves for loving trans women. They were afraid of the shame and embarrassment they might receive from their male friends because they're dating a trans woman. And apparently this is very common. Um, This is a common theme that comes up for trans women when they're dating um, men. And this is, and, and when you really think about it, this is obviously rooted in transphobia, but it's also rooted in homophobia because these men do not see trans women as women they see them as men and so they're like oh you're actually sleeping with a guy it's like no i'm <laughs> i'm i'm dating a woman right so um i just think i just wanted to bring up bring this up because this is very layered um in terms of like what to, to kind of obviously it's never um excusable to to kill someone and, and that's not what i'm trying to say it's more just like i want to just i want to explain how homophobia and transphobia can can be this dangerous right and how perceptions of how people love each other can lead to violence um does that make sense what i'm saying yeah absolutely i think you're you're peeling back the layers and and that's that's absolutely true i think i think basically you've given us a very good explanation for why so many transgender women are killed by intimate partners. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think you've, you've done a good job of, of revealing the, the cause and effect there. Hey, That's before we move on from this story, there's something very important I'd like to say, you know, which is this, this is a story that concerns the, a murdered, you know, transgender woman. And I, I feel like whenever Whenever the news reports on violence against women, transgender women, and and all women, um, there's a danger that you know the victims become nothing more than you know statistics. So they become remembered as the victims of their their murderers, or you know they they become symbols of a of a fight for for equality or justice. Um, and I think. We, we need to take a moment to remember that every victim is more than that. You know, um, in this case, Kaya Ashton, she had a, she had a real life. I, I tried to find more information on her and apparently she had a, a private life. So not much is publicly known about her, but you know, she did, she did have a life. She was only 20 years old and she most certainly had potential in her like every person does. So I think it's appropriate that we should be talking about her in the context of Institutional violence, institutionalized violence against transgender women, but we have to remember also that this this really is a story about Kaya Ashton and her life and the terrible tragedy it is that that she didn't get to live it to its full extent. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. All right. So with that uh, story out of the way, let's move on to closing comments for today's episode. Uh, the main thing I wanted to bring up was. Earlier in the podcast, Bridget, you mentioned TERFs in the UK, and uh, J.K. Rowling is a big name in both of these sectors. 
along the internet. Um, and just this past week, it was announced that uh, she was being added as like a, a, a bit, playing a big part in the Harry Potter TV show, which is for some reason just a retelling of all the books with new with a new cast. It's not anything new. It's just the movies in the TV show form. So, um, and there was a lot of controversy on both sides because a lot of people don't like J.K. Rowling for what she said, and they think that you should boycott all media that she's involved with. And then the other side says this is like an overreaction. Who cares? Well, that's like, I guess, more of the middle. And then there's the people that are like, well, we don't like trans people, so we side with J.K. Rowling. So those are like the three sides. So, um, And this has always been a tough thing for me because when I was a kid, my parents read me Harry Potter books before I went to sleep. So I enjoy Harry Potter books. And I've kind of like struggled with this thing. Um, but I recently had a conversation about this and I like the whole turf movement. It's, it's not the, the worst things that people are saying about trans people, but everything that people say negatively about trans people moves the needle and that negatively. So mm. I think all of it is bad and J.K. Rowling, despite maybe thinking that she take this higher platform by saying that she likes trans people, but they shouldn't be involved in certain spaces. That's maybe worse than saying, you know, all trans people should just cease to, or not as bad as all trans people should cease to exist, but it still moves the needle in this general he narrative of negativity towards trans people. Yes, I agree. Um, to add to that, I have a lot of feelings about J.K. Rowling, and I I, I empathize with you, um, Miranda, because I also uh, grew up with Harry Potter. Like we watched it all the time. My mom loved it. She read all the books. She was a big fan. I remember when the books came out that she was like rushing us to Costco to go buy the new books. So, and I do love Harry Potter. Like I, and it's frustrating because I do think the work goes beyond her. But at the same time, I don't want to support her as someone who is actively um saying super terrible hateful things about us her essay was abhorrent um but i wanted to kind of put on my therapist hat here so i have a master's in counseling to be a therapist and i i don't want to talk about jk rowling from a therapeutic perspective a psychological psychoanalysis i she she has been assaulted by a man right that was that's kind of her story. That's sort of where she comes from. She 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 talked about that in her essay. And I think that fear and that trauma has not been worked through. I don't think she's really addressed it well enough. Because what I think what's happening is she's projecting that pain and she's projecting that unfinished healing onto trans people. It's misguided. She's she's onto trans women specifically, not trans men. She doesn't give a shit about well, she does she thinks that they're ruining themselves. But she is particularly more interested in trans women. And I think she is directing her anger at them instead of at her perpetrator. Um and also I think TERFs in general and also JK Rowling are projecting their frustrations with uh, with men and patriarchy and uh, scapegoating trans women and creating, and I think that's kind of what's happening psychodynamically underneath all of this. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more than that that's happening, but that's one thing that I see. And um, it's frustrating that their inability to go inward and self-reflect and, and receive the care that they need or that she needs because she's bigoted, um, that that affects us, like, directly. Like, she directly tried to, st like, didn't she give, correct me if I'm wrong, Randa, but didn't she try, didn't she give her, or legislators who are proposing anti-trans bills into states use her essay as, like, um, as justification, right? Um, so she has create she has weaponized her voice to work against us in, in legislature, which I think is, uh, uh, it's, 
Yeah, I'm very angry, as uh, you can feel. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that she has some kind of, like, charity organization that helps, like, women that have suffered, like, sexual assault or abuse. And mm. that organization specifically blocks trans women from going there to get support. So they only let biological women attend. So, so they would let me in. I, I don't know the fine details on that, but um, <laughs> yeah. anyways, I maybe I, I when I say biological women, I was kind of like I don't know. I, maybe that was the wrong phrase to say with what I was trying to say there. I they, they maybe no. specifically they just don't let trans women in. I, I don't. No, no, I think you know you're you're right because I did I do remember reading something about how she was saying that she wants she's like trying to convert trans men back to women like basically saying that like you're not what you think you are like you actually are a woman and you just need to embrace and love yourself you need to work through your trauma and your sexual assault or your or whatever happened to you and this and you're you don't want to be a man anyways we could probably go on like this for a while but i just wanted to i just wanted to put on that hat for a second and just kind of break down my thoughts about her yeah i i have very little to say about um kk rowling but um uh you you asked at the at the, at the beginning of the these comments uh, miranda what uh i mean you pointed out that that people are unsure of of what to do about her you know um and i think that, that question resonates with me because that's a common question how do we sanction people we think are doing harm in the world um and I think that's a big discussion we might explore through various stories, you know, as we do the reporting. But um, I'm fairly certain that an absolute um, shunning of a person uh, and um, what uh, what's the term, sort of erasing them from, from history is not the way to go. So I think um, neither of you need to feel at all, you know, guilty about your history of enjoying Harry Potter books. Um, <laughs> they they continue to be valid sources of entertainment if they did legitimately entertain you in the past. Um, I, I think that that, you know, uh, th there, there needs to be a, a well considered strategy for disarming, um, you know, turfs like JK Rawlings and um, and uh, and that strategy almost certainly will not mean disavowing, you know, the the the, the books that you enjoyed in the past. Um, I don't know. I'm prepared to be talked out of that, but I I think that I think that you can rest easy. I agree with you. Um, thank you for saying that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, did you have anything like in particular you wanted to bring up, Bridget? Or uh... no, I. Uh... I am um, just rolling with the the tide here, and is this this wave of bad news on the transgender front? But I think that's what we've come to expect. So just yep. come back again next week and see what news stories we have for everybody. All right, sounds good. So thank you for tuning in to the Transcatholic Podcast for January 29th, twenty twenty-four. This has been your host Miranda, together with Bridget and Kai, signing off.